Designcast Podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to Designcast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of DesignCast. And on this episode of DesignCast, I was fortunate enough to talk to Joshua Stamper. Josh initially used his artistic talent, creativity, and original ideas as a professional graphic designer. He then transitioned to inspiring students to utilize their imagination and creative expression in public education. Being unsuccessful as a student growing up, Josh never expected to be back in the classroom as a teacher, athletic coach, or administrator. His struggles as a student spawned a passion to change the education model, push the boundaries of traditional learning, and explore new innovative ideas. Josh has been a middle school assistant principal in North Texas for the past eight years, where he's served at four campuses in two school districts. In addition to his current administrative position, Josh is the host of Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, author of a new book, Leadership Coach, education presenter, and podcast network manager for the Teach Better team. You can connect with Josh through his social media contacts, which are listed in the show notes. I have no doubt you will really enjoy this conversation that I have with Josh, and I cannot wait to hear your feedback. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Josh Stamper. Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast, and I am just absolutely humbled and just feel incredibly lucky to have Josh Stamper on with me today. Josh, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jason. I'm great. I have a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go for my day. <laughs> That's great. I'm in my sleepy time tea, so we're as far away as we can. 15 time zones, I think, is what I was counting. Yeah. So pre- pretty exciting stuff, but it's the it's amazing to see what technology can do for us, right? <laughs> oh, most definitely. Just the connection. 
connections that we can make, you know, to know you even, you know, across the world is just mind blowing to me. It blows my mind too, Josh. And and I am so lucky to know you and I really appreciate our collegial relationship. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for that. And so Josh, if you don't mind, can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what led up to you becoming a teacher? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So my name is Joshua Stamper. I'm a assistant principal in the North Texas area. I've been a assistant principal. This is actually my ninth year. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I've actually been in education for almost 20 years. I started out as a paraprofessional uh, working with special education students. And honestly, I didn't think I'd ever be in education. I actually went to school to be an artist. When I graduated, I became a graphic artist for a photographer and he had multiple businesses and I got to do all of his advertising for a couple of years. And then in the United States, there was a huge economic crash really. And my job got dissolved and I was given a month's notice to find work elsewhere. And so I frantically <laughs> drove home, talked to my wife about like, what are some next steps? What, what do I want to do? And she was just amazing. Leslie was just like, find your passions. What do you, what do you love? And we kind of found art and, and sports to be my two loves. And so nothing better than coaching and uh, teaching. So I went back to college and worked as a paraprofessional while I was in school, did the student teaching, and then it was time to find a job. And at that time, still in Minnesota, the the economy is struggling. And so there weren't a whole lot of jobs in the area. So my in-laws lived in Texas and they kept asking us to come down and, and to look at the area. And so I wasn't really wanting to move to Texas. I'll be quite honest. So I told my, my wife, I was like, well, we'll fly down and we'll see if we get any jobs. If we get jobs over the weekend, then for sure, we'll, we'll move down there. I didn't actually think we were going to get jobs, but sure enough, both of us got jobs over the weekend. So I was like, okay, well, what's the next steps? You know, we've been in Texas now for almost 15 years now, and it's it's been a blessing to, to work down here. And as an art teacher, my third year in, I started to coach, wanted to really learn my craft first, but got tapped on the shoulder by an assist principal who said that they thought I had some leadership abilities and that they thought I could be an administrator. And at first I laughed because I couldn't, I was like, I'm just trying to figure out how to be a teacher and a coach, let alone, you know, run a school. And that conversation really changed the trajectory of my educational and, and leadership career. So again, had that conversation with Leslie and was trying to figure out what to do next. And a month later, I was in the admin program, a master's program. And then a couple of years later, I got a chance to be what's called the Dean of Students, where I, I worked with mostly the student discipline of a campus, campus almost of, of 1,200 students, and then worked my way up the next year to be an assistant principal and, and been doing that ever since. Wow. I didn't, first off, didn't know you were from Minnesota. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful state. I love, I love <laughs> oh, the I Twin love Cities. It. It's, it's a great yes. place. And I like Texas too. So, I mean, you can't beat the brisket in Texas. So, oh. The barbecue is amazing. <laughs> so tell me, you, you mentioned special ed and doing some, you you were one of the pair pros in that. And yeah. what was your interest in special ed? Well, I really wanted my foot in the door. And my main belief is, you know, whatever job that you want, whatever role that you're aspiring to become, you need to figure out what that looks like, right? And so I just wanted to learn, you know, what school, how it functioned, you know, what were the different positions. I mean, obviously as a student, you go every single day, but you don't really know the, the workings of a school and the teachers and what they do. So I love the job, honestly. It was in Minnesota, it's a little bit different than in Texas. In Minnesota, you can be a paraprofessional and a coach. So I actually coached part of, I was part of the senior staff for the varsity team and the JV team 
so I was able to work as a coach, but I was also able to be in a paraprofessional position. So, you know, I had students that were emotionally disturbed. So they had, you know, a lot of emotional struggles and, and anger and frustrations, and they just didn't know what to do with those emotions. And I figured, you know, if I could hone in on those kids, be able to teach them that I would have the skills to teach anyone. And it was an eye-opening experience for sure. I got a lot of great techniques and got to hone in on kind of my skills as far as the interpersonal relationships. And I thought I had a pretty good relationship as far as communication and how to de-escalate. And obviously there was some learning experiences in that too, but I loved it. I almost switched my major. Instead of being an art educator, I was going to be a special education educator. So there was a a good time there where I thought I was going to change and, and go into special ed. But t- still to this day, I, I I have a huge heart. Several of my, my children are in special education. So it's something that I'm passionate. I just have the most admiration for those teachers. They just mm-hmm. do a phenomenal job. You know, it makes sense because you're one of the most empathetic people I've ever known, Josh. And so mm-hmm. I can see that and Thank I can you. hear it. And I'm sure how do how do you feel that that experience has helped you in your job as a school leader? Yeah, I think the empathy piece is huge. You know, we never know how students and teachers and, and parents are coming into our building. We don't know the struggles. You know, when a student is under the special education umbrella, it's not like they have that paperwork stapled to their shirt. We don't know what they're going through and, and the struggles and, and the brain development that's going on uh, behind the scenes. And so a lot of times if a a student looks like everybody else. We just assume that they have the skills or, you know, the basic needs provided to them. And and so often that's not the case. And so I think for me, just having the background of seeing how a student functions and looks very similar to everybody else, but then also has these deficiencies that they're trying to work through provided a little bit more background information for me to understand that, you know, when a student's running down the hall, well, maybe I shouldn't yell at them because they may not react the way that I anticipate that I assume they may have some emotional things going on in their background. They may have some health difficulties that we we can't see and we don't understand that it's really challenging for them to even function during the day. And we just assume a lot in, in education. And some of that's for convenience and some of it's just because we just you know, are, are tired ourselves. But I think the empathy piece is huge of just understanding that a lot of people are coming with some some struggles that they wouldn't like or wouldn't mm-hmm. want on anyone else, but they have to live through that every single day. Yeah. And I think sometimes teachers don't know what they don't know when it yeah. comes to how to how to cope. And of course, all teachers want to teach the, the, you know, the most uh, passionate students all the time, but, oh my goodness, yeah. but that's, but that's not the reality in most no. cases. And so, you know, I can only imagine that your background in that really helps, you know, in your job at your school. And so what, what, that's so wonderful to hear though, Josh, I'm sure that the students really appreciate your, you know, very personalized, you know, and relational way about yourself. And so that's, that's really great. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And so just shifting gears a little bit as a school leader, and we're going to get to sort of what we're all talking about here in a minute, but I'm really interested to hear about what you consider to be like innovative practices and how do you like identify those in your school? Yeah, I think the innovative piece is, is something that you kind of have to build in your culture of your campus as a leader. I, I think a lot of times leaders get in the way. I've done this. I've found myself doing this sometimes of just not understanding a teacher's idea or thinking more about the logistics of something and saying no immediately instead of letting it play out. And so, you know, as I get more comfortable in my leadership style and 
and practices, I just kind of like to get out of the way of folks and let them try and determine what the end product is. A lot of times we don't even understand the problem because we're not in that experience. We're not in that situation. And not having that knowledge sometimes gets in the way of, of the decision-making. So for instance, I'm, I'm going to give you a, an example of a creative corner. So as an assistant principal, our staff was having a lot of difficulties with technology. We were functioning in labs, but we were going to one-to-one and we were understanding that our teachers were going to need more information, understanding apps and, and how to use the devices. So my teacher was like, well, I would love to share this idea, something I use in my classroom, I think teachers would really enjoy that. Another teacher said the same thing. And so based on kind of our collaboration at the table, it was understood that we need to program so teachers could teach teachers about what technology apps and things that they were using in the classroom could be used in other people's. Creative Corner was what we decided on as far as the name. It was an after-school program. Teachers just volunteered to teach some type of technology piece. And then the folks that wanted to learn about that, we would advertise it as the week was coming up and then they would just show up. And so every every month we had a creative corner session and we probably had half the staff every single time. We, we didn't require it by any means. We just offered it up, but it allowed you know other teachers to teach what they were great at and were passionate about, and then also show the results of what was benefiting their students. And so it was powerful. I, we also like differentiated it too of like, hey, this is an app that we're going to be working with. You know, we've got this beginner section over here. We've got a advanced section, you know, and we kind of break it up that way. And we'd have multiple teachers teach on the same thing. So, you know, using the same practices that we would with our students, with our staff, we were allowed to model that. And of course, we gave them PD hours because they were in those sessions learning. But we also saw a great benefit and an increase in our technology use in the classroom. Fantastic, man. I'm sure that is, is that continuing on today, even as you return to school and be in face-to-face classes or was that prior to the pandemic? That was prior to the pandemic. That was, that was a little while ago and that was a different district and a different campus. So I would love to know if they're still doing it, but yeah, that was something that was kind of my, my baby because yeah, I just love the peer-to-peer piece. I've, I've done peer-to-peer tutoring with students before. I've done peer-to-peer for teachers too. I just think, you know, when we hear another colleague teaching about that, it is for some reason, or, you know, when you're a student to student, there's a lot of benefit to that because it's not a hierarchy piece. It's, it's my equal is trying to teach me there. And so it kind of eliminates some of that other stuff that sometimes gets in the way or of our mindset. Absolutely. Great, great stuff out there. Thank you so much, Josh. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, those are some successful things. What have been some challenges in your roles that you feel, you, you know, that you overcome or are continuing to work through? Oh my goodness. Well, I've got a whole book full of <laughs> those challenges. So Aspire to Lead is the book. It's kind of my, my message of, of the why and the how, right? So, you know, I think as an art teacher, being tapped on the shoulder and saying, Hey, I think you're a leader and having no leadership title or experience was difficult because it shifted not only my mindset, but it shifted my role on a campus very, very fast. So, you know, we were talking about the power of peer to peer. Well, when you're not viewed as a peer anymore, that relationship changes. And so quickly it was like, okay, this young teacher who's an an elective teacher is now viewed as an administrator in some way, even though he doesn't have a title, I think that was was difficult going from, you know, the classroom to be in charge of discipline for a very large campus that was really struggling as far as its identity within the community and how there was kind of a shift in economic status too. 
And I thought that was probably the most difficult year in education was just trying to learn a new campus, a new system, and of course, a new set of needs from community and understanding that my practices, my traditional punishment, really what it was, what it was, was not working. And how could I transition that to make it so that it was more successful and and teaching the behavior versus just punishing? So, you know, I thought, I think still to this day, you know, as an assistant principal, you know, discipline is still under my, you know, my, my roles and responsibilities. I think, you know, that's still something that's difficult, you know, because for me, I want to do things where it's a experience for the kid to understand that they did something incorrectly and then learn the correct behavior so that they don't make the same mistake moving forward and, and being creative and like you said, innovative in that. So it's not just them sitting in a room for days on end and then expecting them to just go back into the classroom and, and do the things that I want them to do. So I think student discipline is always something that's been a challenge. Jason here from DesignCast, and I am just so pleased that you're here listening to DesignCast. I really appreciate all the feedback everyone's been giving me. It's been so fantastic to hear it, and it just really inspires me to continue going. Of course, making this week on week is difficult. If you feel so inclined, of course, there is no pressure. I would love it if you would take part in helping to support this podcast. And so I'm using a website called Buy Me a Coffee. And there are a couple different ways you can give. One is you can give a one-time gift. And then also there are monthly gifts that you can give. And by doing that, you will receive some services from me. Number one, you'll be part of Signcast support family. Also, there are different levels within that. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash designcast and you can find out more about the different ways you can support me. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So I want to shift gears a little bit, and you mentioned your book, and I know that your book is named the same thing as your podcast. So you're, obviously your podcast came first. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Can it you, is, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about it? <laughs> oh, of course. So, yeah. So when I was an assistant principal in my last district, I had an opportunity to work with five other assistant principals in a leadership development program. And so the way it was constructed was that a principal would identify a couple of people on the campus to then participate in a leadership cadre. They could have a role in leadership or they didn't have to. It could have been someone like me where, you know, I got tapped on the shoulder and just said, hey, have you ever thought about this? So we had a, a vast amount of experience from those who were participating, some who already determined that they wanted to be an administrator someday, some that just were learning that, hey, I might have some leadership skills. So we piloted this program for the district and did it for a couple of years and saw great success in, in folks participating, but then also in advancing in within the district in different roles. It didn't have to be administration. It could be counseling. It could be somewhere in the, the district level also. And... I just fell in love with the leadership development piece. But after a couple of years, since we saw so much success, the district took on that program themselves. And I was sitting there longing to work with developing leaders and didn't really have an avenue for that. And so with some help from a friend, Todd Nisloni, who's the co-author of Kids Deserve It, I got a chance to visit him at his school when he was the principal in Nova Soda and see kind of behind the scenes of 
of him and Adam Welcome um, interviewing someone for the Kids Deserve It podcast. And he made it seem much easier than it is, but he was marvelous. But I peppered him with about a thousand questions afterwards. And after our conversation, um, I was like, man, I should do that for aspiring leaders because I was just kind of learning about podcasts at the time. And he was like, yeah, dude, you totally should. So it took probably about five months of what I would call research, but but really it was me trying to get the 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 gumption to actually let me push record. But after after that, I've just, I've just fallen in love with just those conversations of of learning from a whole variety of educators. And so the podcast is really for anyone that's thinking about leadership. You know, here is a buffet of different roles in education. I know for myself, I always just was like, oh, there's a teacher and there's an admin, and that's the only people that lead in a district. And as I've gone through this podcast, you know, three plus years now, I've learned that there are so many roles in education that are making a, a vast difference in people's lives and who are leaders. And so that's really been the message is if you're an educator, you are a leader. And, you know, I took that premise into the book, which is the podcast is me interviewing a bunch of different people about leadership. My book, Aspire to Lead, is about my story, about the trials and the missteps that I took and, you know, how I overcame those, but then also, you know, what I learned through that. And so I use Aspire as an acronym to kind of, you know, guide folks as far as their leadership journey. So it's activate, support, persevere, identify, reflect, and execute. And like I said, it's the the why, you know, why should we be a leader? And then the how, like, how do you get to that next level within your leadership journey? I can't wait to read it. I'm looking to get a hand, uh, my hands on a copy, Josh. So I can't wait to check awesome, that thing man. out. Podcast is awesome. Absolutely love Appreciate it. it. And uh, I would encourage anyone to check it out, whether they um, feel they're a leader or not, because I agree with you completely that t- anyone in education is a leader. You don't have to have the title or the teeth to do it. You know, you, you just need to be part of that. And so, you know, Josh, the last 18 months, two years have been really tough, but what are you really mm-hmm. excited about at the moment about anything. It doesn't have to be education, but it'd be great if it is education. Yeah. No, I'm excited. No, I'm excited about education. I think I think because of what happened with the pandemic, we've had to make a shift in education and a lot of different practices and procedures have gone to the wayside because we've understood that there's just not a place for it anymore. We were doing it because we always did that practice, right? So for myself, I, I like to reflect and observe what's going on and then make the necessary changes for for the campus to be successful. And I think a lot of times that hasn't occurred. And this forced us to do that. It forced a lot of people to really look and assess at what are we doing and why are we doing it? And so I think we're going to have some hardships. I really do in the next couple of years of teacher shortages, bus shortages, things that are going to force people's hands to say, okay, let's look at this. Why is this occurring? And what do we need to change it? Because there, there's still a lot of things that need to be changed in education that haven't been touched, right? So for instance, you know, teacher pay, teacher benefits, you know, things like that. I mean, why are we seeing a shortage? You know, why why are there folks that are no longer seen as, you know, love and passion as the staples and and not survival, right? Why why do we have people working three jobs? So, you know, things like that. I think the pandemic has made a necessary shift for people to really open their eyes to, okay, maybe there are some things that aren't working and how can we make it better each and every day? So I know it's kind of a broad brush that I'm stroking here, but I think, you know, for us as a campus, there were a lot of changes that we made over the pandemic that we never went back to. 
like we didn't go back to what quote unquote normal because when we assessed it, for instance, like lockers, why are we using lockers? And this is low level. This is low level fruit for you. But, you know, as far as what we're seeing as administrators, like a locker forced students to stop, put their things into a, a space and we changed it to backpacks. And the biggest thing was the fear of of potentially someone bringing like something they weren't supposed to on the campus. Well, that was already occurring. So let's alleviate that. Now that we don't have lockers, like our, our tardies have gone way down. So that means our instructional time has gone up. We've seen less behavioral infractions because they're going from point A to point B faster. You know, the lost and found is diminished practically because everybody has their belongings on them. You know, just like all of these benefits that we're seeing from such a, a minor practice, but it inf- affects everybody, you know? And so like, why did we have lockers before? Because we've always had them, right? But the anxiety level of our sixth graders coming in has decreased immensely because they don't have to learn a locker or they, they may not be able to reach it because they're so small, right? So like all of these things of like, we just do it because everybody should have a locker. Well, no, we, we really shouldn't, but that would have never occurred without the pandemic. So, you know, just that's even just a minor change, but there's some, some drastic things that still need to shift. And I think because we had to flip on a dime and, and change what education looked like, I think people are starting to understand that there's other possibilities to educate students, not only in the United States, but all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned lockers because we, our school, it's a K to 12 school though. So you got to keep that Mm -hmm. in mind. We we actually, first time in almost two years, we were on campus together as a whole school two weeks ago. And it meant we could actually issue lockers last week for the first time in two years. (laughs) You know, it's weird because there's some eighth graders who've never used them, you know, and, and also another strange thing we're beginning to face is that you know, the last full school year that was normal, quote unquote, normal for our students was sure. three years ago. Right. So wow. I have I yeah. have a seventh grade son. His last full school year was in fourth grade. Yeah. And so to think about the disruption in his educational journey and his yep. social journey over the past, because he has two parents who teach. So that doesn't help. <laughs> so he can't ever escape it. But no. to, think, to think that what about these kids who were in first grade who've really yeah. never been in school, you know? And so a lot, we've had a rise in behavioral issues, a rise in mm-hmm. kids who can't sit still, you know, they haven't had the capacity building yep. possibilities, but anyway, no, I digress. Sorry. about that. No, I think it's true that, you know, we talk about an educational gap or a knowledge mm. gap, but it's really, there's a social gap. It's a social right? gap. So many gap of our almost. students. Well, yeah, because a lot of our students, the parents, you know, parents had to work still. Right. So there weren't, there wasn't a structure there for the students. So a lot of our kids, I don't know about yours, but they got to do whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted, wanted, when they wanted. That's right. When you now put them in a very restrictive environment and now everything that they do is dictated by someone else, of course, you're going to get some pushback. So, you know, it's, it's a reteaching almost completely because like you said, it's been years of them in a, a totally different environment. So I think, you know, when you sit there and you really assess, I think it makes sense that, that we're, we're going to see the behaviors. We're going to see the pushback from, from our students. Absolutely. And we just need to think about how we deal with that because exactly. as teachers, we're out of practice too, in a sense, you know, we've had to yep. shift. There was no warning, right? I mean, nope. especially where I'm at, I mean, we were weeks behind China with the situation. So we actually, you know, in February of 2020, we were 
we were off campus, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was no question. It's been nearly two years since we were all together as one big group. And so we've got yeah. so much we've had to learn. We've had all these, you know, things because we're still wearing masks and other things. I mean, there's debate sure. there too, but it's, it's, it's a government thing, right? And, and, you oh, know, yeah. everybody follows rules, I think. So that's a different, <laughs> different situation, you know, but, yeah. but of course, then the actual like fatality rate is much, much, much smaller as sure. a result. But anyway, so Josh, listen, I agree, man. I love it. I can't wait to talk, you know, to hear more about your podcast and 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 that and go listen to it. I encourage anyone listening to have a listen. I want to shift gears just a little bit and I want to ask you, other than your book, of course, what would what book would you recommend everyone stop right now and read? Well, I'm going to keep with the leadership theme here. So, Dr. Jill Seiler has a phenomenal book, Thrive Through the Five. Wow. I can't speak enough about it. I mean, if you're also, you know, looking for additional leadership material, I think she does a phenomenal job of there are, you know, that struggle piece, right? So you need to be passionate. You need to make sure that you're understanding your why, because you're going to have some tough days as a leader. And she just does a great job of kind of laying it out for you as far as understanding that even through the struggles, there is an opportunity for you to serve in a way that's going to benefit everybody involved. So she just is, I I think she's just an amazing leader in general, but she's just got some wise words in that book. So if you're looking for just some encouragement, some more pieces to understand like your why as a leader, I think that's a great book. Fantastic. I have a great reads shelf and I'm adding it as we speak because I add them from everybody who's been a guest and answered that question. So thanks so much for sharing that, Josh. I can't wait to check that one out. And I can't wait to read your book as well. So that's that I'm really, really stoked about. And so, Josh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So on Twitter and Instagram, it's the same. It's Joshua double underscore stamper. I know it's odd because the double underscore, but you know, Joshua Stamper wasn't available or even the single underscore. So make sure you got the double. And then of course my my website, joshstamper.com. And then of course the the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the podcast on any podcast player. So, you know, those are all ways that you can connect with me. And that'll all be in the show notes. Uh, I'll make sure that all of your ways to connect are there, Josh. And so thank you again for that. And so listen, Josh, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate this morning. I know it's early for you. It's late for me, but I'm so glad we were able to make it happen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Oh, it's my honor, Jason. Thank you so much. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. 
enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.